This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the Compliance Report International Edition with Compliance Man Goes Global, Episode 2. This is the podcast where, together with Tim Kazanov-Baratov, we take a look at compliance in emerging markets through a Q&A dialogue that Tim and I engage in. So we take two concepts, or actually probably misconceptions, from the in-house compliance reality, and then we check out whether these concepts work in emerging markets. Both Tim and I split up uh, the discussion. We advocate one particular concept identifying pros, and then we'll uh, do the same identifying cons. And hopefully we'll come up with some practical solutions for the in-house compliance practitioner in emerging markets. It's a lot of fun. It's a good dialogue, and hopefully we'll give you some ideas on arguments that you could use in your discussions with colleagues at compliance programs and with senior management in emerging markets. This is Tom Fox. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Compliance Report International Edition, which is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode of Compliance Man Goes Global, uh, the podcast I'm doing with my good friend and colleague, Tim Kazanov-Batarov, for the FCPA Compliance Report International Edition. Today, we come up with episode two. And what we're doing in this uh, series is, <clears throat> in each podcast, we take two concepts, or perhaps even misconceptions, from the in-house compliance world, and then we see if uh, these concepts, which in the United States we would call the conventional wisdom, does the conventional wisdom hold up outside the United States or where Tim practices compliance in emerging markets? So uh, Tim has proposed a couple of questions, and we take both sides of it, identifying uh, pros and cons. And with that uh, somewhat long-winded introduction, Tim, uh, let's uh, first of all, welcome, thank you, and let's uh, jump right into it. So here is the first uh, concept that we have for today. <clears throat> the compliance uh, officer in the company has officially deployed the compliance program in a high-risk market. All 10 hallmarks are identified in, in it, and that references, of course, to the 10 hallmarks of an effective compliance program. What I want to know about is the kind of priorities you would have to consider in addition to the 10 hallmarks. So um, do you need to augment the 10 hallmarks? Do you need to put in something even tailored specifically for the high-risk um, market you're in? Uh, what does your experience tell you about the prioritization of compliance efforts. Hi, Tom. To start with, I fully disagree with this concept. And here are my arguments. To start with, to address regulatory expectations, you should have a program that is comprised of 10 hallmarks. Here are your priorities, basically. So from my perspective, this is a very straightforward and a very clear philosophy. 
What else? Ten hallmarks cover both, so to say, legal aspects, for instance, policy making, along with the implementation side, for, for, for example, when we remember tone at the top. So if we want to find priorities for a particular organization among already identified regulatory priorities, we can simply choose them out of 10 hallmarks, obviously not ignoring others. And probably one more agreement. Attempts to make the framework more complicated, I believe could harm the execution of the program. So I do not see any merits from practical side to distract attention of the compliance team and to spare resources on reinventing the wheel basically. So this is my this is my view. So let me ask you, Tim, do you feel like the 10 hallmarks, even though they were created by the U.S. regulators, uh, really fit in high risk or emerging markets uh, such as the ones you practice in? Thanks for, for this question, because some legislations like, for example, what we have in Ukraine or in Russia, they have their specific hallmarks as well, so to say. So, yeah, I would agree that considering the specific markets, you might think about their own native hallmarks. However, my basic idea is to stick with the regulatory requirements while trying to reinvent something else or to change or amend the regulatory frame. So, Tim, let me take it in just a little bit different direction because I have... Uh, uh, certainly worked with yourself and I've worked with uh, and met with other compliance practitioners, both from uh, Russia and from the Ukraine, and they fully embrace the 10 hallmarks. But I've often heard business people in countries, once again, such as Russia and the Ukraine, say, why should we follow something the Americans create? We're Russian, we're Ukrainian, we're, you name the country um, you belong, uh, you're from. Uh, we should uh, we should not have to follow what the Americans say. So how how do you, um, as a compliance practitioner practicing in an emerging high risk market, how can you persuade a businessman to follow the ten hallmarks if it's an American uh, formulation? Yeah, that's that's a very controversial and frankly speaking, a very challenging thing because being in the country where you have business, you have to follow first of all the laws of of this country. So I, I, I'm not sure that I have a good answer on this question, Tom. So um, is it uh, here in the United States, certainly the compliance officer would uh, have to use very persuasive techniques. And really, that's what you have as a compliance officer persuade. And some of the arguments I've seen work are along the lines of the following. Yes, it is an American formulation. But if you follow it and if our company follows it, and if we can show that, it will make us more attractive to doing business with American companies. Is that an argument that resonates with the business people in uh, your market as well? Yes, fully. That's that's a very strong argument because uh, when when people are thinking about getting investments from from the U.S. or partnering companies which are under the U.S. jurisdiction, of course, this type of arguments would work here. That's for sure. Does the uh, does a formulation such as the ten hallmarks give you as the compliance professional? Uh, now I think uh, I'm I'm convinced you have a clear understanding of it, Tim, and I'm convinced your colleagues in compliance have a clear understanding. But does something like the ten hallmarks work for you when you have to explain to uh, business people in companies in emerging markets? Is it a clear enough formulation for you? 
I would say yes. The good thing if it, we, if we, for example, take the guide that there is explanation and interpretation of, of those rules. So for me, it's a great help when we are talking to people, when we are talking to business people, when we are talking to top managers, trying to define what exactly we, we want from them. So 10 Hallmarks is a very effective and practical instrument to to focus efforts, first of all, and then to set the expectations from, from business people. So um, one of the things that uh, compliance practitioners here in the United States really try to get away from, Tim, is having just a paper program, meaning, yes, we have policies and procedures, but no one really follows them, even if they are based upon the 10 hallmarks. Uh is having a paper program just as dangerous in an emerging market as it is in the United States? I would say yes. And then if we take the enforcement practice, we would see that in many cases, the paper uh, compliance program uh, were, was uh, defined or were identified at, at particular emerging market. So I would agree with you that at emerging market, the, uh, the existence of the paper uh, compliance program is a, is a very high risk and it's uh, and it's it uh, gets to a higher exposure for for the businesses which think that if they have compliance program on the paper that's enough. So I think uh, we are in agreement, Tim, that the ten hallmarks is a good framework to work with. It works in a variety of markets: the United States, Russia, Ukraine, Central Asia, Africa. You really name the market. But I guess the key concept we both uh, said is that you actually have to, to do compliance. You can't just have compliance on paper. You have to do it going forward. In the United States, we would say operationalize compliance. Is that uh, the type of concept you try to get across to your clients as well? Yes, Tom. That's, that's exactly the good words to identify the efforts which we're trying to deploy here. And I believe what you have discussed now is something which was uh, reflected at the first episode of our uh, compliance man series, which was which is called First Things First. So that you're absolutely right. Operationalizing of compliance is is something which makes it really works. Okay, now let's turn to a topic, Tim, and I really uh, enjoyed this next topic. I think it's incredibly important. So I'm going to be very interested on hearing your views on this. And um, it really deals with compliance goals and do the goals and priorities of compliance mismatch with business needs or even worse, do they keep <clears throat> or prevent businesses from growing? So, um, Kind of what are your thoughts on that question? Because that is a, a probably the most important question the compliance practitioner receives. I would agree with you, Tom. That's the question which, which we hear as a practitioners. And my position is that it's this kind of commonplace to oppose corporate compliance efforts to business growth. Moreover, I believe this statement is a kind of vague. So I strongly disagree with it. I believe compliance priorities exist on the radar of business leaders, at least due to very pragmatic and even cynical reasons. So what, so, are, what yeah. are some of the pragmatic yeah. reasons? Okay. Uh, first of all, threat of personal liability and possible negative impact on the company in case of enforcement actions. Uh, 
then I would name that wish to comply with corporate rules and maintain status of a good corporate citizen in the company. I think that really matters for every, every, every uh, top manager. And probably one more argument. I also believe in scenario when compliance philosophy gets a high priority status and in highest reality due to compliance team's efforts. So this is something which, which is purely dependable on efforts of compliance team in the particular organization. Will you disagree with me, Tom? Well, before I get to that, uh, let me just ask, the, uh, this past week in the United States was the announcement of the largest FCPA enforcement action ever. It involved a Swedish telecom company now called Telia Company, and it involved their bribery and corruption to obtain uh, telecom licenses in Uzbekistan. The, uh, this week, the former CEO of the company was personally indicted for criminal violations in Sweden. Is that the type of threat of personal liability you're talking about? And I guess I would also like to know, has that case uh, resonated at all where you practice compliance? Well, I would say yes. Tilia case is a, is, is, a, is a very famous case these days here. For instance, when we talked to, to top managers last week, I, I, I raised this question to, to demonstrate the numbers and the potential exposure in, in the markets like Uzbekistan or the former Soviet Union. So, this, yes, this story is in the news. So, th this is something which is not... And, uh, which, which, which is under uh, specific attention, and for compliance practitioners, that's, that's for sure. All right, so I did, uh, I did want to raise that case because it's obviously very important here uh, in the United States, and I, was, I found it perhaps even more important that the Swedish authorities actually stepped in and did the criminal indictments, not the Americans, and perhaps that might resonate uh, uh, in emerging markets more as well. But... Um, let me uh, get back to the point because I think that you've raised some some very uh, not only interesting but really important points because um, as you know I'm in Texas and Texans make money that's what we do we do business uh, we like money we count money we talk about money and we make money and so if you put something in the way or something that prevents a company from making money that's going to be viewed as a real obstacle. And so that kind of leads me to the next point, which is I see compliance as a business practice. And it's a business practice that can make a company more efficient and at the end of the day more profitable, or as we would say in Texas, make more money. And you have, uh, I think, given a good description of some of the risks, the threat of personal liability, the possible negative impact. Uh, on uh, the reputation of the company. Uh, certainly, Telia is a, a great example of that. But um, sometimes managers and even top managers are not aware of uh, compliance risks and their own duty to mitigate those. And, and one of the things that I think you and I both have to do as compliance professionals, literally across the globe, is educate top managers about their the potential risks the potential liability to them, and then to help them to understand how do they manage the compliance risk through a business process. Uh, but I would have to end up by saying that um, the compliance 
compliance man, uh, the compliance professional, the compliance practitioner cannot be Dr. No. He cannot exist in the land of no. He cannot be the always no department. Uh, he, he must work with the business. Uh, certainly, we talked in the last uh, concept about the art of persuasion, but here it is not persuading, I think, the business person to do something. It's working with the business so that compliance is embedded into the business process so that there's no real uh, chance for bribery and corruption to occur. And if you can do that, I'm fully convinced, as I said, the business will be run more efficiently and, uh, at the end of the day, more profitably. So do those types of things resonate with uh, your market? Yes, Tom. I think in terms of the priorities, what you have said about raising awareness among top management, it's on, it's on the table, it's on the agenda. And you're absolutely right saying that sometimes top managers might not even be aware of the compliance duties, so to say. So that's, that's, that's perfectly resonates what we, what we want and what we want to achieve here in emerging markets. And of course, I, I agree with you that money making is, is the uh, is, is the priority or the main goal of, of businesses. And as you have said, when you are doing this in a transparent and integrate in, in, in a trans transparent and ethical way, you, you 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 have more chances to succeed. You will be safer, and you you will be able to uh, enable a sustainable business. Specifically, it is very important when we are talking about high-risk markets. Well, Tim, um, as always, this has been a fascinating discussion. And uh, I think uh, we've provided several key uh, takeaways for our audience. But I was wondering if, um, just to sort of summarize uh, on uh, concepts one and two, if you might be able to give two or three key takeaways you think that are important for uh, concept one for the audience. Thank you, Tom. So I would think as a key takeaways from our discussion, I think we can mention the following. Compliance practitioners should implement the program based on regulatory requirements in cooperation with business leaders. To achieve this goal, he or probably she should obtain trust from the top management and get awareness and even appreciation of compliance activity by key stakeholders. So, and then that really leads into uh, concept number two, which is uh, that, as I would say, uh, the compliance practitioner cannot be Dr. No from the land of no. How do you really communicate that and, and how can, uh, what would be your key takeaway for the compliance practitioner who's in the emerging market, such as yourself, about this point? Well, it's a challenging question. I think that there is no... Uh, answer for 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 all cases but what i personally think works is getting trust from top management so when people see that you are not just a bureaucratic entity or department just saying no on everything but you are, are uh, the person who is trying to assess the risk who is trying to give advice who is trying to understand the problem that would work that's that's my, that's my personal experience well, Tim, I think those are great points, and for any compliance practitioner uh, who listens to this episode, I think that uh, they can incorporate those into their compliance program going forward. Tim, as always, it's been a fascinating discussion, and I hope that um, 
Others will join us again for another episode of Compliance Man Goes Global, where we look at some more corporate compliance myths. Thanks very much. Thank you, Tom. It was a pleasure to talk. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Compliance Report International Edition with Compliance Man Goes Global, Episode 2. If you've listened to this podcast on iTunes, please rate this podcast as it would help in our rankings and also help get the word about the only compliance report which focuses on the international aspects of bribery and corruption across the globe. Also, you can reach me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Finally, the Compliance Report International Edition is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Thank you again for listening, and I hope you will join us again for another episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>